Welcome to the Denver United Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brindle. Awesome. Good morning, church. My name is Raisa Watandila Kubandi, and I am super excited to be with you this morning. I typically hang out with the high schoolers and middle schoolers in the USM space, uh, but today I get to hang out with you, and we're going to have a really good time. If you're excited to be here, make a little bit of noise so I know that we got energy. All right. Awesome. 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 All right. So um, I, was, I was thinking about uh, a good story to start my sermon off with. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit inside baseball, right? So I was thinking about a good story. And so I, I remember back to my, fa- to my freshman year, and I heard my favorite lie ever. Okay, this is a weird way to start a story, but this was my favorite lie ever. Okay, the year was the fray. Okay, the fray was top 10 on the Billboard 100. Okay, there was uh, Little John and the Eastside Boys were the sponsors of every good party. And there was a young lady named Robin Rihanna Fenty that released her second album, and she was super duper famous. Okay, it was my freshman year of high school. I am walking into computer science. My buddy Toby sees me and he says this. This was, this was amazing, okay? And this is a lie that I remember even 14 years later. I walk in and uh, just to give you a little bit of background, when I was a freshman, I always had my hair braided. It was never straight. And so I had it straightened and I had bangs in it, okay? And then so my buddy Toby sees me and he says, your hair looks good. And I was like, why, thank you. You know, I I feel pretty good. I felt like one of those girls in all of the 80s and 90s romantic comedies, right, where she takes her glasses off and she looks completely different. That's what I felt like with straight hair and bangs. And then he said this. He said this. He was like, Risa, you look like Rihanna. And I was like, my God. (laughs) I can die today. I've lived. I've lived, I've arrived, I've made it, right? Was he lying? Absolutely. Did I believe it like it was truth? Absolutely. I internalized that. I held on to it. I was walking on the cloud for the rest of the day. You literally could not tell me anything, all right? Like I was feeling amazing. And here's the reality is that not all lies are lies that we love. Some of them are lies that we live. And over the course of the last few weeks, Pastor Rob and the rest of our team have done an amazing job of addressing a lie that every culture, every time period has, which is the belief that some people are less valuable than others. It's this idea that if you're poor, that if you have uh, mental health issues, that if you're struggling, you are of less value than other people. And Jesus uses a chunk of his time to address this lie by using the phrase, the least of these. And so this morning, we're going to address a segment of society that, that at times we as people may inadvertently treat like the, less, the, less, the least of these, the least of the, I was like a rapper, uh, the least of these simply because of their age. We're going to address children and teenagers. And so if you have your Bible, could you turn with me? to Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. It says this, an argument among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Sorry, let me start that again. An argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Can I just say, I love the disciples because I am them. 
Imagine God being with you and the conversation is, I'm better than the rest of you. Like that is what you're focused on, right? And, and I want to say I would never do that, but <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> I really would, right? And so uh, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who will be the greatest. I love that idea. What Jesus does is in the middle of an argument amongst the people that he's been living life with and hanging out with and teaching is that he, he demonstrates to them like, yo, you guys think you're awesome, but the way that you treat this child is a demonstration of how you treat me. That the way that you treat this, this person who is unable to provide for themselves, who's unable to protect themselves, who's unable to do anything significant at this point, the way that you treat them, the person who's unable to repay you for your kindness is exactly how you treat me. And, and even more than that, it's a representation of how you treat the God that you say you serve. Because you may not, at this point, the disciples may or may not have recognized Jesus as God, right? And so he's saying, yo, if you really believe in Yahweh, the way that you receive this child is the way that you receive me, and it's the way that you receive him. And I, and I, love, I love the way that Jesus kind of lays that foundation in his understanding of how we treat the least of these. And so there's a story in the Bible. It is also found in the book of Luke. It's a couple of chapters beforehand. It is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And over the next few minutes, we're going to take some time addressing some of the lies that we believe about young people. And then we're also going to, at the end of our time together, we're going to figure out what our role is in the lives of the children and the teenagers and the young adults that we get to have a little bit of influence over. And so Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, it says this. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. We're going to pause right there. For a moment, I just want you to envision this scene. Jesus just done some miracles because he's Jesus and he's just that guy, right? Like he's just done something crazy. And so a massive crowd begins to follow Jesus to a town gate. And so the town gate was where a lot of business occurred, was where there was always crowds because there was business happening, conversations happening. It was the center of the place. And because it was the town gate, it was an indication that there were walls built around the town. So there was only one way in and one way out. And so imagine here comes Jesus walking towards this town and there's a crowd behind him just waiting to see what happens next. And at this only spot right here, you see Jesus walking in with a crowd that is celebrating, that is hyped, that is in wonder, that is waiting for something dope to happen. And coming in out of the town is a dead body. And Luke make sure that we understand that this was a widow's only son. 
And, and in that culture, uh, that meant a few different things. Number one, as a woman, there were very few ways that you could be provided for, right? It was either your dad taking care of you, your husband taking care of you, or your oldest son taking care of you. And I think the reason why Luke wanted us to know this was that this was not only an emotional loss, right? Like there's the, there's the pain of losing a child, which I cannot even begin to imagine what that is like. So I'm not going to give you some pithy example of what that could feel like, but I'm sure it was devastating. I'm sure it was overwhelming. I'm sure that it was painful. But then there's also the practical loss of how will she be provided for? So not only are you dealing with the emotional devastation of this moment, but you're also dealing with the reality that not only have I lost my husband, but now I have lost my son and I've also lost my provision and I have to count on the kindness of strangers for me to be able to eat. What I love and hate about loss is that it demonstrates value. When you lose something, you recognize how valuable it is. For the parents in the room, when you had your first kid and it woke up every three hours, you're like, bruv, I, I, I carried you for nine months and you can't sleep through the night. You can't just let me, you know, get a few hours of rest, right? But then they grow out of that baby phase and they become a toddler and you're like, man, I miss waking up with you. Or when they become a toddler and all of a sudden they discover lying, did you eat the cookies covered in chocolate chips? Nah, I don't even know what cookies are. Never seen them before, right? And you're like, who taught you to lie? <laughs> but then they, they grow out of that toddler phase and, and then you're like, man, I miss their little feet. I, they're just, I miss them running up to me and, and wanting to hug me. Or, or, when, or when they go through puberty and everyone's wrong but them and their friends and potentially TikTok. And you're like, who is this monster that has arrived in my home? But for those of you that have sent your first child off to college, you miss that little monster. You miss them yelling in your home, you miss the sound of children running around. Loss sometimes demonstrates value, and in this moment, though it is painful and it is difficult, and at times it may feel a little bit confusing, what we learn about children and young people is that they have immeasurable value and their value is consistent in every stage. And so we're not waiting for them to become adults. We're not waiting for them to figure things out. We're not waiting for them to be able to walk, talk. We're not waiting for them to become famous and successful. Right here, right now, they are valuable. And so my encouragement to us as a church is that when we see a young person find something to demonstrate and to express value to them, Find a way to compliment them and to affirm them because the truth is, is that we don't need to criticize them because they're probably more critical of themselves than we ever could be of them. And so in this moment, what Luke is trying to demonstrate in a moment that is painful and confusing and a little bit chaotic is that children and young people are immeasurably valuable. So the next verse. This is one of my favorite verses. When the, Lord, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, do not cry. 
in this moment, maybe hundreds, maybe dozens, I don't know how many people are in the crowd. And people are there to watch Jesus. And other people are there to mourn the loss of a child. And Jesus saw her and was moved by her. I want to remind us that God sees you and he's moved by you. And God sees you and he is moved by you. And, and I know that in times where things are chaotic and they're difficult, and, and even when times are good, man, being seen means the world. And to cause someone to move, to cause someone to change direction, that communicates so much value. And I want to let you know and I want to remind others of you that God sees you and he is moved by you. He's not waiting for you to figure it out. He's not waiting for you to get better. He's not waiting for you to tithe. He's not waiting for you to even pray. Because there was no indication that this widow asked Jesus for anything. But he saw her. Third thing that we see in this story is that parenting doesn't always dictate outcomes. This is an encouragement for the parents in the room. You can do all the right things, and we can still make bad choices. Like, like there's, there's moments, I think I was like, like 23, and I had like 20 bucks in my pocket, and I went to Walmart to buy groceries. And I was so confused why my basket was so empty, and yet all my money was gone. And then I was like, yo, how do my parents feed us all the time? Like, how do you make this money thing work? Because I thought that I knew what I was doing, but clearly one of us didn't, and it's me, right? And so I realized that sometimes a lot of the advice and a lot of the wisdom and a lot of the parenting that my parents did, it kind of takes a second to load, right? For, for those of you that are, that are old enough to, like, remember dial-up, Come on. All right. The, the, anybody under the age of 20 is like dial-up. What does that mean? Is that like calling a telemarketer? No, just Google it afterwards. We don't have time to explain it. Um, but I remember uh, having to get on the internet, which means that we couldn't use our house phone. It's archaic. It's crazy. And I remember trying to get on AOL Instant Messenger. And the disrespect of me being excited that it took five minutes for a page to load. I was like, five minutes? That's easy, right? Because in the past, it took like 10 or 15. But my dad started making a little bit of money, so we cut down to five, right? And the reality of it is, is that I just remember so many times downloading music off of LimeWire, <laughs> receiving viruses. I'm 30, people. We're going to have some old jokes happening this service. Old is, uh, whatever. <laughs> and I remember that when I clicked the link, it always took a little bit longer to load than it did to click the link. And I think as parents, we think that we, speaking that into existence, come on. <laughs> but I think a lot of parents believe that what they're saying, what they're instructing, what they're giving is not working, but I just think it's loading. Yeah. That it takes time for the things that you are 
implementing the seeds that you are sowing for them to reap fruit. And even if you do all the right things, sometimes things can still go really wrong. There's no indication in the story of how good of a mother she was. There's no indication in the story of whether or not this death was her fault or she was negligent. There's no indication of any of that. There's only the grief and seeing Jesus respond to the situation. And so for the parents in the room, yes, keep doing your best. Yes, keep praying. Yes, keep believing. But parenting doesn't always dictate outcomes. So then, then he, being Jesus, went up and touched the briar. They were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. This is kind of like a, a cool moment. We'll, we'll talk about the miracle in, in the moment. But um, back then, the way that they would bury people is if you died in the morning, they would try to get you buried by the evening because they didn't want your body to rot. And also, they didn't want everyone else to become ceremonially unclean. And what, what it meant to be unclean, it meant that you couldn't enter into the temple to worship. And then for that day or that week, depending on your proximity to the body, it meant that if you can enter the temple to worship, you were also cut off from the rest of community. And so the people that were carrying the stretcher were always the ones that were closest to the family or to the deceased. That only people that, that were in the inner circle were expected to make that kind of sacrifice that for a season, for a day to seven days to be cut off from the community. And this is important for a couple of different reasons, but I'm going to focus on this one reason is that it matters who carries you. There's going to come a time in your life where you're going to need some people to carry you. And do you have a community, teenager? Do you have a community, adults? Do you have a community, parents, where you know that you can trust people to carry you? I know who's going to carry me. In my mind, I know the people that are going to give my eulogy if, I, if they outlive me. I know who my poll bearers are going to be. And one of the biggest things that we can do as adults is to demonstrate what healthy, intimate, close friendships look like to our teenagers and to our children so that they realize that community is not something that some Christians do, but it's a mandate to all of us. It matters who carries you. And the reality of it is, is that my hope and it's true for most of my friends. Not all my friends are Christians, and I'm totally cool with that. And even a couple of my friends that I believe are going to be my pole bearers are not Christians yet. But do the people who carry me, can they recognize when God is moving on my behalf? The Bible says that the people carrying this young man stopped when Jesus told them to. It matters who carries you. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. All of us have a role to play in the lives of the teenagers and the kids that we have proximity to. Whether it is a neighbor, a nephew, uh, a friend's kid, whatever it is, all of us have a role to play. 
And if you look at this story, in this moment of grief, we see that they are the people carrying the young man. Those are the people closest to him. And, and I realize that I won't be close to every young person that I'll get to be around. I won't be one of the people carrying them. I, I won't be the parent of every young person I get to be around. I, I won't, and I think I've come to accept this, I am not the young person <laughs> that people are carrying. All of us have a role. I'm also not Jesus for every young person that I get to be around. Which means that when a parent is grieving because their child is making poor decisions, I don't get to say, stop crying. Because I can't change the child's decisions. I don't get to interrupt their process. But what I can do is I can do what this crowd did. Because there are two crowds. There was one crowd that was just following Jesus to see what would happen next. They were just like, where he goes, I go, right? So they're just like, oh, mom, widow, grieving? That's wild. What will Jesus do? Right? As the other crowd that was in grief, right? Back then, when the way that kind of the funerals happened was that when a funeral is taking place and you're seeing the procession and you're, you're in proximity to it, you're supposed to join the procession as a sign of honor to the person that's died, regardless of who they are. So there was people that were there because they knew the young man and they knew the mom, and there were others that were just doing whatever outside, and they saw the procession, and they're like, all right. Then there were others that were paid to be there because back then they had paid mourners, professional mourners. That is a job I never want to apply for. <laughs> I don't care what the benefits look like. What I love about this crowd is whether they were following Jesus or following this dead young man, all of them responded appropriately. The mourning crowd was mourning and grieving. The following crowd was following and watching. But all of them praised God when the resurrection happened. All of us will be the member of a crowd in the life of a young person. And so our job is to be present and to be compassionate, is to be present enough to be aware of the circumstance so we celebrate when things are going well. If you somehow end up being at a high school graduation or a homecoming parade, I don't know if you guys do that here, but in Georgia, we do homecoming parades, right? And so when I see those things happen, I just get hype. I'm like, oh my gosh, you look so good. Hair did, nails did, everything did. You look amazing, right? Like I just get really, really hyped. When I show up to a basketball game, a middle school girls basketball game where no one knows how to dribble and somehow I said yes to this and I want to gouge my eyes out. When they catch the ball, I pretend that LeBron just dunked like, oh my God, you caught that ball. Right? When I, go, when I go to a cheerleading competition and someone falls, I do a little, a quiet ooh. But when they land their little trick, I'm like, that is amazing. You are a star. You are the greatest thing that's ever happened. Right? When they grieve over their first breakup at 13, and even though I know that there are more fish in the sea, I grieve as if they thought they were going to marry that person. 
Because in that moment, I am teaching them that I am present. But I'm also demonstrating to them that I am compassionate. Because if I can care for them at 13, when they're 23 and they're dating someone they think they might marry, guess who they're going to call? When, when, when I show up to that girl's basketball game that, that is not so great at 11, when they're 18 and they get to sign a Division I letter, guess who gets to stand in the picture? When I, when I show up to the house to play video games for hours, when they're going through an emotional crisis, guess who, guess who gets to be in the village with them? Every single one of us has been instructed by Jesus that the way that we treat the little ones is the exact same way that we treat him. And I want to be known by Jesus as someone that is always present and always compassionate. Don't you? Don't you want to play that role? So it's going to be the... The last point I make, and then we're going to pray together, and then Pastor Rob is going to give us instructions. This uh, city that was mentioned in the story, come on, Miko, you're a pro. You, you felt the end. And you're, this guy. The city that was mentioned was only mentioned one time in the Bible. And I, I like, you know, Pastor Rob is like an intellectual, so whenever I get to share the stage with him, I want to outstudy him. I can't, but I want to try, right? So I was nerding out trying to figure out, like, why he came to the city and why he only came once, right? Like, like why? Why? I, I think he came to meet that mom. He probably did some other stuff that... Luke didn't record and wasn't super concerned about, but I think he came to, to meet a mom that was grieving in this moment. When I was uh, 13 years old, I was a part of a, of a youth group, and I, had, I heard my youth pastor get up on stage and preach this message about hell. And I was like, whew, this is exciting. Glad I did not invite a friend. <laughs> and um, in this message... He said something that I, that I remember till this day, and it's kind of heartbreaking when I think back on it. There's a verse in, uh, I think it's in First or Second Corinthians, where it talks about how there are some that are going to enter into heaven with robes that are singed because they barely escaped hell. And you would think that, I, like, in my 13-year-old brain, I would be like, man... I got to go preach to my friends and share the gospel. But what I heard was that I can belong to the streets and at the last second, I can get saved. So I had a plan, right? I was, <laughs> was going to go to business school. I was going to, my junior year, I was going to get uh, um, an, internship, an internship with Nike right, do that for two years, work for a small sports marketing company, make lots of money, do that for 40 years, and then at 65, <laughs> I would retire from the streets, I would give my life to the Lord, and for the rest of my life, I would give and be charitable and do all of these things. That was the plan, guys. I had it mapped out. 
when I was 15, um, we lived in a three-bedroom apartment, and my parents' bedroom was right by the kitchen. And for three nights in a row, I woke up at around 4 o'clock in the morning. This is what I heard. God, I thank you for my daughter, Isa. I thank you for her life. I thank you that she will know you and that she will love you. I thank you for her husband and for her kids. I thank you that she has been called by your name. Grabbed my juice, went back to bed. Next night, at the exact same time, I don't know if she was waiting for me to wake up, <laughs> but I heard her pray it again. And the next night, I heard her pray it again. And here's the truth. Did I turn my life completely around at the age of 15? No. It wasn't until 19 when I was alone in my bedroom and I said, God, you have been chasing me my whole life. You've been chasing me and you have not wavered in your commitment to me. So tonight in my bedroom at ministry school, a different story for a different day, I give my life to you and I will follow you forever. Did my mother's prayers help? Absolutely. But you know who met me in that room? Jesus did. And this is the truth of our lives, whether you are 11 years old or 55 years old, is that Jesus meets the moments. Jesus saw this woman grieving and resurrected her son and gave him, gave him back to her. Jesus sees us and he loves us and he's moved by us. And so if you're in this room and you're wondering whether or not things are going to work out well, I want to remind you that Jesus meets the moments. And sometimes that means a miracle and sometimes that means that he's your companion in grief. Sometimes that means that finances work out and other times he teaches you how to steward what you have well. Sometimes it means that your 15-year-old gives her life to the Lord and sometimes it, it takes until she's 19 to say yes. But Jesus will meet the moment and if we will just play our role and trust him to do his thing, he will show up every single time. Every single time. And so the way that we're going to end this morning is that we're gonna pray for parents because I believe that the front line to having healthy kids, healthy teenagers, healthy adults, or healthy parents. And so as a church, we're going to stand behind our parents and we are going to stretch our arms out towards them and we're gonna pray that they do their best but trust that Jesus will meet the moment. So if you're a parent in the room, what I want you to do is I want you to stand up and come to the front. Uh, if you have a teenager with you, they do not have to come with you. I remember hating when my parents made me come up front. Come on. <laughs> Yo. We really took the fruitful and multiplied thing seriously, huh? I want to, um, I was kind of, the Lord and I were having a conversation about this moment, and uh, I want to encourage you that you're doing well. You're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes that you're probably going to have to apologize for. And, and, and as one of your pastors, and as someone that works with teenagers, I want to let you know that you're doing well and that your voice matters. 
they pretend they're not listening, but I talk to them and they hear you and it's changing them and it's forming them. And I wanna remind you that you are trusted to steward them. So number one, walk in confidence that you have been called to parent your kid. God had a billion different options and opportunities and his creativity is unlimited and he said, hey, I trust you with my child. So walk in that confidence, but also trust that when he is forming something in them that you may not be familiar with, that you may not be, that you may not be comfortable with, that that's still his kid. And trust that the good work that he has started in them, he is faithful to see through to completion. So for those of us that are standing in the crowd like I am, let's stretch our hands towards these parents and let's just take 30 seconds out loud to pray for wisdom, to pray for courage, and to bless these, these parents, these leaders as they raise up the next generation. God, we thank you so much for every parent that is standing here. We thank you for the wisdom that you are giving them. We thank you for the insight that you are giving them. We thank you for the direction that you're giving them. Father, we pray that you would protect their children. We pray that you would direct their children. We pray that you would give their children wisdom. We pray that their children would walk with you all the days of their lives. And if they wander astray, that you would call them back home the same way that you did for every single one of us. God, empower them to do the thing that you have called them to, which is stewarding the lives of your children. So God, we love you. God, we trust you. God, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Can we thank God? So good. So important. All right, parents, if you would just stay here for a moment. Um, you know, you're in that, that stage of life where uh, at 30 you realize, wow, I'm on the old half of culture. Um, but to lots of us, you're young. And <laughs> we envy that. And um, here's what scripture says. Don't let anyone diminish you because of your youth but set the believers an example in faith, love, life, speech, and purity. Um, and what's interesting about it is it, is it, it says that it's our, a choice we get to make. Don't let them. We either receive that diminishment or we don't. And what I saw this morning was not a young woman or an old woman or a woman at all. I saw a leader in the body of Christ and I heard the word of God talking. And so, well done. And I don't know about you guys, but I spent a lot of years in church, and I'm just going to say it, and maybe this wasn't true for you, but in my world, I, I never really chose it or thought it consciously, but teaching the Bible here or in this space, it was the job of old white men. And here you are, a young African woman, and you're a heck of a teacher. You were made for this. You were, we talk a lot about people coming from the north and the south and taking their places. This is your place. And so um, as a parent, whether you have teenagers who are right now in real time receiving leadership or whether you're, you know, like the man's brand new parents. I thought I saw the man's. Is that, there you are. Brand new parents. Isn't it encouraging to look ahead and say like, man, there's someone going to come alongside me. I think of the John Mayer song as you were talking. We said, would 
um, someone come speak for me and how you speak for us and say to our kids what we want to say but wonder if it's getting heard and reinforce that. What a gift. So I want us to lay hands on you and pray for you. Would you just stand here and parents, um, just mobber. Um, Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us as, as your word shares and as, as was taught to us this morning, you've given us the reasonable responsibility, the mandate and the ability to parent our children. And thank you that you've also given us companions, someone to speak for us, that you've given us a leader um, in Pastor Risa, and in Pastor Lucy, leaders to speak into the lives and the faith and the formation, the challenges, the problems, the fears, and the dreams of our children. And Father, we rise up and call her blessed. And we thank you for the mother's heart, for the, the wisdom um, and the, the, the faith that live in Risa as they live in her mother before her, Lord. And we bless her for this work. And we thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Well, unlike you, I get to hear that again. And as a parent, I need to. You can catch this message and everyone online for free every week at denverunited.com. Stand up and let me just pray a blessing over you. And uh, we'll get out of here. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my friends. I pray that you would bless them in every way. Strengthen them for the week ahead. Lord God, the work, their finances, their relationships, uh, everything they do, would you give them grace and wisdom that it would prosper for your kingdom and your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody. Enjoy the first day of spring, the beautiful Sunday. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next Sunday. We hope you've been encouraged and challenged this week by God's Word. For more information about our church, events, or to simply submit a prayer request, visit us online at denverunited.com. 